This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. We have as our guest on the show today, Rebecca Robbins, who's the Global Chief Learning and Culture Officer for Interbrand. And she's an expert and has written a book about global luxury brands. So, Rebecca, we are so happy to have you on our show today. Hello. Barbara, America, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. When you go back to the, the origins of luxury and sort of the evolution of luxury through the ages, and that's one of the things that we did when we were writing um, our book, Meta Luxury. What was interesting about that, going back as, as far as ancient Greece and Rome and looking at, you know, the a whole polarization of, of, of luxury consumption back then and, and through every different era, um, ostensibly the heart of luxury brands, as we have come to know them today, have, have, have you know, really grown up through France and Italy um, and the UK have been really the, the sort of hotbeds of, of those leading luxury brands that we talk about in the best global, global brand study that we, that, that we see now. But I think what's fascinating is you look at markets, whether it's the States, whether it's China, there are so many new forms of luxury emerging. And I think this is a time where we're going to see so much more experimentation and disruption. And I think that's where we're really looking to what's going to come through now. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by brands such as Telfar, for example, in terms of what they're doing with a more accessible approach to luxury, which I think for some, for some years, it was this notion of accessible luxury was seen as a bit of an oxymoron, but actually yes, yes, uh, so, as, as so we're well, looking well, at brands so, opening up, it's really fascinating to see what they're doing. Rebecca, would you consider a street brand, a luxury brand? I think that is exactly where the, the, the future of luxury gets really exciting because if we look back at those leading brands in our study, uh, when we look at Vuitton and Gucci, and they're two interesting ones to take, for example, because of the 20 years that we've been valuing the most valuable brands in the world, um, there are only two luxury brands that have been there since the beginning of, of our of our 20 year study so far, and they're Gucci and Vuitton. Mm. And if you look what at what about Hermes years, and Chanel? Yeah, so interestingly enough, Hermes came in a little bit later in terms of like hitting, hitting that, that, that top 100, but it, it's actually only Gucci and Vuitton that have been there since the very beginning that we actually started, started our study. But what I love about what you're saying is that they are symptomatic, as many of these brands that, that, that we're talking about now have, have been much more open, collaborative, experimental, invited both consumers consumers and other collaborators and partners in. And I think that's how we've seen this, this interesting sort of tension, if you will, between tradition and innovation. And I love, I'll just take a quote from, from, from our book, Meta Luxury, which was from one of the, um, the, 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 the Japanese national treasures, as they call them, these people who are giving this sort of living legacy of special, specialization in knowledge. And Mr. Morosi, who is one of those, he specializes in Rishi, he talked about tradition is innovation repeating itself. And when you look at what the likes of Vuitton and, and Gucci have done, it's this really interesting fusion between carrying forward their legacy, as you talked about it, Americas. But I think it's that notion of carrying forward. We tend to think about legacy and history, I think, and luxury. We have done, at least, as looking back. But those that have succeeded have really looked at how do we reinvent and carry forward what has been true to us for all these years. You're talking about um, Gucci and Louis Vuitton. They have very different philosophies in some sense. I would think of Louis Vuitton as more of a true heritage brand, you know, starting with the luggage and going back to what Louis Vuitton meant. It's very classic. Whereas Gucci has kind of changed what it means as a result of 
who the designer is. And I mean, it's still very much luxury, but Gucci is more of a fashion forward kind of luxury brand. Hmm. Um, and that changes a lot by the designer as celebrity kind of thing. What do you think about that dimension to this discussion? Yeah, and I do think you touched on a couple of really interesting points there. First of all, Gucci fascinating because it's really pivoted in the past few years that we've been tracking it in our best civil brand study as, you know, one of the highest rises, not only in luxury in the top 100, um, but also across across all industries and all segments that we track. And if you look at so many of the things that it's done well and excelled in over, over, over those few years, and you're right, Michele is very much obviously at the, at the heart of that transformation, but I think it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning. It's about this logic and magic. So Bizzari and Michele together, who really undertook this grassroots fundamental transformation of the brand. And that really began with connecting culture on the inside to, to, to what we call, I guess, the cultural zeitgeist. And I, and I love the way they often talk about the brand as made by millennials for millennials. So absolutely, I think you're right on in the sense that it's much more fashion forward. But I think with a view to actually pivoting the brand into a much more inherently sustainable era for so many years. I mean, we, we, we've seen this, I think we were talking earlier on about brands that almost forgot their employees along the way. They'd been mm. so used to chasing the next consumers, the next generations, the next influencers. And what Gucci did was brilliant, not, not least in setting up things such as its own shadow board of a next generation committee that Bizarre talks to and listens to on an ongoing basis. So I love the story of connecting culture on the inside, being part of your brand transformation, and that then connecting into the cultural zeitgeist. Maybe you can tell us the, the, the theory, you know, behind what you're saying in terms of measuring luxury. And then if you have some thoughts about what luxury has to do now in post-COVID times, because I've been looking at some of these luxury numbers. And of course, luxury has been pretty hard hit in COVID. Um, and so I've seen a lot of different people come out with different ideas for what is the way to to grow the market and preserve the luxury brand. So that's a lot of stuff to unpack. So start with <laughs> <laughs> Barbara, I feel as though you've just opened up the stage for a conference here. This is great. <laughs> right. <laughs> the big topics. I love this. Um, listen, I guess I'll, I'll start with a, a sort of power pack answer to your first piece, which is on metal luxury brands and the culture of excellence. I mean, that really began, and, and we were writing, the, doing the research for that at the tail end of the last crisis. And one of the biggest challenges that we were seeing in the clients that we were working with within the space of luxury or the arena of luxury was what does luxury mean anymore? It's become one of the most diluted terms in business. And I think that's so evident when you can talk about a premium T-shirt and a one-of-a-kind, you know, creation of a Pagani um, autocar being, being both both under the umbrella luxury, right? So that's why I think the subtitle Culture of Excellence really, really came into its own. And there were, there were what, what really we found in terms of the conversations that we were having um, out, of, out of this whole area of research that we did uh, were a number of fundamental things, but it really comes down to luxury brands, always true luxury brands, leading luxury brands always ask why, not why not. And when you think about the brands that are sort of either not here anymore in the world, the ones that are going, the ones that have just gone, um, the ones that perhaps on the on, on the cusp of going, um, they're the ones that invariably have, have continued to say, why not, why not? 
um, and we know what that why not can lead to in terms of business decisions. Um, so that was fascinating because what we wanted to do in challenging the notion of this dilution of the term luxury was really establish not only an answer to that question, so how do we really define leading luxury? Going back to our conversation earlier on, what does luxury really mean at that level? Um, but crucially, to give an answer and a, and a business model and a paradigm. I mean, what we know, Hermes and Chanel, in my mind, I mean, for sure, Louis Vuitton and Gucci are much bigger brands, but Hermes and Chanel, in my mind, really capture what I think of as the prototypical special brand. And we know those mm. brands would never discount. They never overextend. You know, I mean, the why not? They would never consider any of those why nots. Whereas Absolutely. some of these brands that have hurt their cachet and had to re and pull it back, like Coach or Michael Kors, did try to do some of those things. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Exactly. And that's where I think this term sort of you know, really the, the spaces and arenas of excellence comes into its own. And I think the, I, that leads us beautifully, I guess, in terms of the, your second question around, you know, what we've been seeing during the crisis. And as you've rightly said, most of the brands have taken a hit. Luxury obviously is not a category. So it's interesting as we've seen sort of luxury hospitality went completely on hold on shutdown, whereas, of course, while retail stores have been closed, luxury fashion, leather goods, hard luxury was at least still accessible online. Um, but we also know that luxury has proven resilient during past crises. That's something that, right. you know, I love that if you go back through the lessons and I know I know you teach this and I'm fascinated to read the chapter that you, that you just alluded to earlier on. But they've, you know, these crises have been a platform for new, new forms of creativity and innovation. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see not necessarily what comes through this year, but actually what this year proves to be the foundation for for innovation and disruption to come. One example will be what you know what the fashion shows shows look like in the mm. future. We've already seen Gucci be very vocal about. We're going to cut down the number of fashion shows. Mm. They'll take place twice a year instead of five. Saint Laurent mm. made an early call today. Yeah, we're yes, going to go off let's calendar talk completely. about that. Let's. I mean, this is this is what I think we're really seeing in the innovation in luxury post COVID. Mm. The fashion shows one thing, you know, what COVID's been doing, but a lot of it is also the role of technology. One of the things the, the CEO of, of Neiman Markin said is that a characteristic of the luxury market is that it's actually quite small. And a lot of the profitability comes from very few customers. And the way to grow is to really build long-term relationships with those few customers. And a lot of that comes, you can start doing through technology. So do you have any thoughts about any of that? I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what's interesting, because we, we, we did some work with, with Burberry under the Angela Orange era, and I remember, you know, when we, when we think back, actually, luxury has been relatively late to the digital party, as it were. It really has. And at the time, you know, Burberry was this, this pioneer in digital. It had the most digitally connected Definitely. retail spaces, right? It was making those first moves in terms of tweaking from the catwalk and making things much more open and digitally connected. That was genius in that, and that's partly why Apple hired her, I'm sure. 100%. You're right, and I love what exactly that cross-fertilization that then we saw between sort of luxury and tech, for example. But I think that's the interesting point now, and I think there was a great quote. It was around the Valentino show, around the sweet spot will ultimately come when we have technology technology, and at the service of, of humanity and not forget the, human, the humanity in this. And I think that's where some of the fashion shows that haven't worked as well or some of the digital mobilization or where in some cases actually 
it's still relatively absent or indeed or indeed lacking behind. And it's been it's been interesting to your point. You mentioned Gucci. You know, in, in quite a short space of time, they mobilized Gucci Nine, their new virtual customer service center. So this this, this desire constantly to stay close to their to, to, to their consumer. And I think to your point about the fashion shows, the jury's radically out now in terms of how how people have responded to that. It's early days, but that's where I think it's exciting. This is people have talked about ripping up that rule book for a long time. We haven't really seen it. Rebecca, thank you very much for being on our show. Oh, Barbara, America, thank you. And, and it was wonderful to speak with you both. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. I feel like we just laid the foundation for a future conference. So that was amazing. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.